Well, we want to continue together, and we want to open God's Word. So if you have a Bible near you, we're reading all of 1 Timothy 6 this evening. Look in this evening at the second half of this. began to look at it last week. Paul writes, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in the controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed, and in doing so have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. 
Lovely. Thank you, Jordan. Would we turn perhaps together to 1 Timothy 6, those verses that we read earlier? As uh, Jordan said, we're particularly concentrating on the second uh, part of that, uh, particularly Paul's charge to uh, Timothy. I'm sure that we realize that we are living through uh, times of incredible change. Uh, If you're younger, perhaps you don't see that as easily, but those of us who are older... uh, we see it a little bit more clearly, don't we? We, we see the, the incredible technological change, the political change, the, the, the great, uh, in a sense, empires of the world that have come and gone. Some of them have uh, crumbled in our lifetimes. Rise of other places like China and the Arab world, becoming great players in the world stage. And then, of course, the, 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 the change that there is in terms of the moral landscape of the country that, that we live in, the society that we live in. When I was growing up, uh, Christianity was, was hugely respected. And then we went through a period where it was sort of tolerated. And, and now, uh, those who, who are at the center of our society's thinking really think of Christianity as a, a negative thing, not just something to be tolerated, but something that's damaging and repressive and so on. And by the same token, some of the things that, that when I was starting to grow up uh, were, were acknowledged or seen as, as bad, they were then tolerated and now are, are celebrated and seen as, as good. And it's a challenge to know, how should we live in, in a world like the world that we're living in? What should we prioritize? How should we conduct ourselves? We long for the insight of the men of Issachar. I don't know if you, you know that little biblical phrase, um, men of Issachar were part of King David's army. And it's just a little, almost a throwaway line. The Bible doesn't really have throwaway lines, but it, it's almost just one of those little comments that you could easily pass over. And it says of them, they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. Don't you long for that? That we understand the times and we know what God's people should do. Well, I think that at least in a general sense, we're going to see something of that as we wrap up our, our time in First Timothy uh, tonight uh, from these verses as we see Paul's charge to Timothy. We, we, we come uh, to the end of our little journey through First Timothy. I hope you sort of uh, remember the context. Let me refresh our minds of it. Paul has left Timothy in, in Ephesus. This is all taking place in Ephesus. Uh, to carry on his work, that work that he began there, to continue to lead and guide the church there. Paul had been in Ephesus for longer than anywhere else, really, during his travels. He'd, he'd, he'd uh, spent about three years there. So, so this was a church that had a huge boost, as it were, as it began. And, and Paul clearly had a special place in his heart for them. And, and whenever he was passing in Acts chapter 20, he didn't uh, call with them, but he sent for the, the elders of the church, and they came and they met him on a beach at Miletus. You can read the account of that in Acts chapter 20, and they had an emotional uh, gathering together because they knew that they weren't probably going to see each other again this side of eternity. And, and uh, Paul prays for them, and he, he speaks to them, and this is what he says to them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth 
in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. So, so he, he warns them that from among them, th- this flourishing church would, would start to crumble and there, there would be all sorts of pressures. There would be pressures from outside and there would be pressures from inside as false teachers began to teach those things that were not true. And indeed, as we've seen, that happened pretty quickly. False teachers emerged, and there were those who were led astray. And Timothy's role, particularly as Paul writes to him, was to combat that. And part of what he was to do as he faced that was to teach the truth himself, and then to put into leadership those people who would love the truth and live the truth and defend the truth within that church. And as Paul comes to the end of his letter, he turns his attention very much to Timothy. So this was a letter that was written to Timothy, but it was uh, going to be read in the congregation. And so it had a sort of a personal dimension, but a, a, a corporate dimension. And so there's this bit that is particularly for Timothy, but the whole congregation would hear it at the same time. It's lovely to have uh, Mark Hawthorne with us this morning uh, at our BB enrollment service. Mark was recently licensed in uh, his home congregation of Waringstown. He's up the road in, in New Mills. And often, you might know as part of a service of licensing or ordination or some of those services, there's a special sort of sermon. It's just an ordinary sermon, really, but we call it a special sermon. And it's called a, a charge. A charge. And you'll notice that this is called Paul's charge to Timothy. And what a charge is, is a sort of a setting out, a solemn setting out of a a formal responsibility. That's really what a charge is. And that's what Paul is doing here. He doesn't know that it might not be. There is another letter, of course, there's 2 Timothy, but he doesn't know that that might not be his last word to Timothy. And so he, he formally sets out, Timothy, here's my last word to you. Here's what you're to concentrate on. Look at verse 13. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you could hardly get a more solemn or weighty sort of a a laying of responsibility than this. He knows that this church that Timothy is leading and looking after is in a challenging situation in the world. He knows that there's problems within it itself. And he knows that Timothy, of course, faces all the challenges of living for Jesus himself personally. And so he says, this then is how you should live. Now, we are in a a very different situation than Timothy in, in so many ways. And yet, and yet, there are huge similarities too. We find ourselves in this culture that is, it points in places hostile to Christianity. We find that there are challenges within the church. There are lots of people who, who say they, are, they want to own Christianity and yet deny key Christian teachings that believers have always held to. So these are challenging days. And so the, the particular call to Timothy is still a very relevant call to us. There's not much translation to be done here. In many ways, God is saying to us, here you are at the beginning of this 21st century. Here is how you should live. 
I read John Stott this week, the late John Stott, on his commentary on 1 Timothy. It's so helpful. John Stott had a particular way. If you've ever read any of John Stott's books, you'll know that he had a particular way of just looking at something that looked quite complex. And he said, well, there are simply three things here. And bang, bang, bang. And away he went. And uh, preachers have been copying John Stott for very many years. And we're going to maintain that tradition this evening. Uh, uh, Ethical, doctrinal, and experiential. He says there are three areas that... uh, Uh, Paul exhorts Timothy within. There's an ethical dimension. This is how you should live. There's a a doctrinal element. This is what you should believe. And there's an experiential element. This is what you're to grasp. Really struck me as I read John Stott. So we'll take that as our structure. First of all, Paul's saying, now, Timothy, in this crisis that you're in, there's an ethical dimension dimension to all of this. Here's how you should conduct yourself. So verse 11, but you man of God flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. It's a lovely little phrase that he uses often. Man of God doesn't use that very often in the New Testament. It seems to imply a sort of a thoroughly equipped servant. That's what it seems to refer to. And Timothy is is a contrast but you. Now, that's a, ref- a reference back to all these false teachers. Remember what we've seen about them. They, they loved controversy. They, they, they loved money. They thought that godliness or sort of church activity was a, was a, a, a means to great gain. And, and then he says, but you, Timothy, you're to be different. Your character and the whole direction of your life are to be a contrast to those people so that you stand out. And there's a double call to Timothy here. You can see it here. He is to flee and he is to pursue. There's something he's to run from and something he's to run to. So you see verse 11, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The all this that Timothy is to flee from is what comes before. Paul described the errors of the false teachers, which were both errors of their teaching and errors of their lives. They believed the wrong things and they did the wrong things. So verses 3 to 10, as we saw last time, they were lovers of money and they were beset by foolish desires. They were involved in these controversies and fractured relationships. And and, and Paul says, now now you as a man of God, this this is not the way that you're to go. And you're not just to slowly amble away from this. You're to flee. You're to run. You're to sprint from this. One of the keys to to growing as a Christian, we we learn this, don't we, is that there are certain things that we are to run from, that we are to say no to. We we, we really must believe and and come to know that that sin and error is not neutral or, or not light, it's not just slightly tricky for us, but it's really damaging and corrosive. So we flee from it. And I'm sure that you can imagine the sorts of practices that, that we might be encouraged to flee from today if, if Paul were to write to us our behaviors, our sins, our issues, things that we sometimes think that we can play with, but actually that they're, they're slowly uh, sort of killing us. And maybe even as we think about that, we, we, we know what God would say to us. We, we, we know what, 
what he would put his finger on. Things that, that, that we know that we sort of call a truce with sometimes and they're there in the corner of our lives, not really killed, just sort of set aside at times and taken out and looked at again, put away again, but never really dealt with. And I think Paul would say to us, don't just amble away from those things and revisit them from time to time. He would say, flee. Flee those things that are corrosive to your faith because there's nothing more important. Now, it's not just that that running from things is enough. We've got to run to something, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith and love, endurance and gentleness. Now, John Stott suggests that these are corresponding pairs. There are three corresponding pairs. They're they're, they're just the, the opposites of what the false teachers seem to be demonstrating. Really, they, they are reminiscent, of the, aren't they, of the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a sense sometimes in which the Bible just, in all sorts of ways, says godliness is what we're to be after. Jesus, Christ-likeness, is what we're to be after. And you see, these are, are not ivory tower qualities, but these are the things that, that Timothy is to to cultivate in the midst of the challenging situations that he's in. For example, John Stott says beautifully, uh, endurance, the last two, endurance is patience in difficult circumstances, and gentleness is patience with difficult people. Isn't that great? I wish I could have done that. Patience with difficult circumstances and patience with difficult people. Just opens it up, doesn't it? So, so these are not just theoretical things that, that we think, oh yes, gentleness and, and, uh, and endurance in our, in our quiet time in the morning. These are the things that, that, that then we put into practice as we're in the office, as we're in the staff room, as we're on the shop floor, as we're with our, our friends. If, for example, read something uh, on provocation. You know, sometimes we... we we tend to excuse ourselves because we say, oh, well, you know, I was provoked. Oh, what, what else would you have expected me to do? Here's Tozer. Doesn't let us off for that. We've all noticed how quick many people are to excuse themselves for some outburst, pleading that they were provoked to it. What is overlooked is that provocation cannot stir up what is not there. It never adds anything to the human heart. It merely brings out what is already present. It does not change the character. It simply reveals it. What a man is under provocation is what he is. The mud must be at the bottom of the pool or it cannot be stirred up. You cannot dirty pure water. Provocation does not create the moral muck. It brings it to the surface. No more. That's a bit painful, isn't it? A holy man, he says, cannot be provoked to unholy acts. So see, there's the sorts of things that that Timothy, you know, as as he thinks about endurance and gentleness, those are the very things that that Paul says. Now, in the midst of all the challenges, all the the debates that there are within your circles, all the the pressures that there are upon you, you're to cultivate this godly spirit. So there's an ethical element. Timothy, when it's tight, when things are under pressure, here's how you're to live. The second area is that there's a doctrinal element he encourages to him. He encourages him to fight the good fight. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. 
Just a little phrase, but, but an important one. There's something very specific in mind here. Timothy is to contend for the faith. You see that? It's not just faith. So he's, he's, he's not just saying, now, Timothy, really important that people believe something. You know, that's the sort of thing that would be said today. It's really important that people have hope. Really important that people believe something. Doesn't matter what it is, but they've got to believe something to get them through. No, no, no. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying you've got to contend for the faith, that the truth of the Christian truth is maintained. Might be some of us here, and and we're investigating Christianity. We're thinking about it. Some of us who are listening, we're we're sort of trying to get our our heads around it. Is, is Is this the answer to my heart's cry? It's great that we do that. But this is something really, really important to ask. It's, it's not just that you, you have faith. There is a, a sense in which everyone has faith. We all trust in something. The question is what that faith is in. Here's the old illustration of the, the, uh, the, the, the kid who was on the, the, the little light plane uh, with his mum. And the pilot came rushing through, wasn't doing a very good job, and, and grabbed the, the, the bag and put it on his, his uh, back and, and said, I'm sorry, I, I just can't control this plane anymore, and jumped out. And a little boy turned to his mum and said, Mum, why did that boy, why did that pilot uh, take my uh, school bag uh, with him? You see, you see what, what, what we put our trust in, doesn't matter how much trust we have in it, it really matters what's in the bag, doesn't it? really, really matters. And you see, with Christianity, there is, a, there is a core, there is a truth, there is a, a, a teaching about who Jesus is. It really matters. We were thinking about that this morning with, with Mark. matters who Jesus is. It matters what Jesus has done. It, it matters what God says we are like. No matter what we feel like, it, it matters what he says we are like and what we need. And it matters what is going to happen to us in the end. So all of these things are things that we've got to get our heads around. And Paul says this truth that Christianity has stood on, that that he has come to, to teach in that church in Ephesus for three years, he says that's got to be stood on and defended and fought for. Because the truth of Christianity has always been under attack. There's always been those who say, you know, you don't need to believe this or that to be a Christian. Timothy's days, there were lots of attacks on the faith. Some people were saying, oh, you know, you don't need Jesus to make you right with God. You can, you can do that through your own self-effort. Some people were saying, well, Jesus hasn't really come in the flesh. He, 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 uh, he only seemed that way. He wasn't fully man. Some people were saying he didn't really rise from the dead. These things have always been attacked as far as Christianity is concerned. And it's going to be no different in our day. And so the truth of the faith has got to be fought for. You know, the, the, the words that come from this, fight the good fight, it's, it's either from a, a, a military application, or perhaps more likely it's from the, the sort of the Greek games, and particularly what's in mind is the wrestling match, you know. Don't know if you grew up. I grew up on, with Saturday wrestling on the television. Got to about half twelve, and Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks came onto the screen. It was marvelous. And I still am convinced it was absolutely real. Absolutely real. And, and, and you knew that, that, that whenever that, that, that was happening, 
there was nothing easy about it. They were sweating buckets, and, and, and it was just, you know, it was, it was tough. And, and the thought of, of having to go into the ring and to wrestle like that, it's not comfortable. It's not straightforward. It's going to demand effort. We're not always going to get it right. And you know that, that fighting for the truth in some of the places that you are this week is going to be all those things. You would rather go into a wrestling ring, perhaps. You know what it's like. There's a staff room and, and, and somebody is, is saying, um, well, you know, you, everybody just needs to be allowed to, to live their lives and get on with it as, as long as they're not doing any harm. Isn't that what we all think? Oh, and you take that gulp and you go, well, actually, I, I don't think that. I, I think we've been made by God and, and we are accountable to him for how we live our lives. And it might as well be that giant haystacks has just jumped on you from the corner. You know, that's how, how it feels. It's as brutal as any wrestling match, isn't it? And Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. Agonize for the truth because it really, really matters. People who are lost may be comfortable, but they need to hear the truth. There's a doctrinal aspect. There are things that we've got to believe. And then Paul says to Timothy, now, in your pressure, in all the difficult things, there's got to be something ethical, how you live. There's got to be something about what you believe, but there's also got to be something about what you experience. Verse 12 again, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Good confession in the presence of many witnesses, that's maybe when uh, Timothy joined the church. It was maybe his sort of public profession, maybe his, uh, some sort of profession that he made in the presence of the church. Uh, maybe it was his ordination as a young preacher and teacher. And somewhere along the line, in the presence of other people, he, he said, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I, I am confessing my faith in the Lord Jesus. And Paul is saying here that, that in doing that, he was, he was stepping out on a path to eternal life. But also, you see, he says that you're to lay hold of it. So it's something that he has, but it's something that he's to lay hold of. You wonder, how does that work? But we sort of know how that works, don't we? Because we, we all know what it is to be absolutely sure of what we believe. If we're Christians, we, we know what it is to be sure of what we believe. And not really yet to, to lay hold of it in the day-to-day, -day experiential, leaning on Jesus the way we ought. And our hearts get cold, and the Bible gets untouched, and the prayers get unsaid, and we tell ourselves, but it's okay because the Lord has saved me. And I think that that is having eternal life and yet not laying hold of it. We know this, don't we? And, and, and Paul says to Timothy, a sort of a a cold theory Christianity, it's not going to work, Timothy. It's not going to work in a, in a tough world. 
It's not going to work in a church that's under pressure. It's not going to work in the staff room or the boardroom or the shop floor or the gym. You've got to have the experience of God being with you. Not just mental assent, Timothy, but the Lord Jesus right with you, the Holy Spirit filling you, the sense of God as your Father overshadowing you. Don't we know this? In these challenging days in which we live, we've got to lay hold of eternal life to which we were called. So, how are we to live? There's a life to be lived. There's a a faith to be defended. There's a, a heavenly experience to be experienced. And this is what we're to do in challenging times. Well, just in a word, why? What's the What's the motivation? What, what, how do we, how do we uh, get ourselves to this? Just hearing a, a, a talk on it might not prompt us the way it ought to. But uh, Paul gives us a motivation here. He goes on uh, in two things. He talks about uh, the example of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. Because Paul goes on, he says, In the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearance, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. You see what he's saying? He's saying, now, you know, you made a profession, uh, Timothy, whether it was at your uh, joining the church or whether it was at your your, your ordination, You, you made that confession, but, but think about the confession that Jesus made. He, he stood before not a friendly church family cheering you on, but he stood before hostile witnesses. And when Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews, knowing that it would lead to his death, he said, yes, it is as you say. You know that sometimes we, we sort of, we, we warn ourselves about treating Jesus as an example And we need to be careful about that because there are some people who say, well, you know, Jesus is is our example and they just seek to try to emulate him. And that's not really the gospel. But we shouldn't think that Jesus is not our example. He's not only our example. He needs to be our savior before he is our example. But in certain things, he is also our example. And so, so we're to think about Jesus like this. We're to think of his, his courage. We're to think of him standing before Pilate. We're to think of him resisting sin to the point of shedding blood. And then we're to say, now, Lord, you've done this. Wow. Help me to live for you. That's been a powerful motivator for Christian believers down through the years. Remember C.T. Studd? If Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice I can make for him is too great. Jesus, his example. Be faithful to the one who has been utterly faithful to you. The example of Jesus. Get that to spur you on, Timothy. But there's another motivation into that here, isn't it? And that is that that Jesus is coming back. You see, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14. How long are we to keep up with this? I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed 
and only ruler, the King and kings and of lords and Lord and lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. You just get the impression, don't you, that Paul, as he starts to write some things, just gets slightly carried away and, and, and just there's a, a few verses of praise that he can't quite contain. And that's to say, isn't it, that that this God, if this is the God that we're talking about, he will certainly bring the end to this world and the coming of Christ. We will see him. Oh, we might go to meet him before he appears, but either way, we will meet him and we will be called to account for the way that we have fought the good fight. How will we feel on that day? Will we lift up our faces with joy and say, oh Lord, it's just marvelous to, to be in your presence because I've, I've longed for this day and I've lived every moment of every day in the light of this day. Or will we avert our gaze and say, oh Lord, should have done so much more. What would we do if we knew that that day was tomorrow? If we knew that tomorrow we would see him and, and, and all would be laid bare. You, you, know that, that, you know that preachers can go wrong on this and really lay a guilt trip on everybody. We don't want to do that. But it is useful sometimes just to think, what, what would we do if, if we knew that, that the Lord was coming back tomorrow? Would our plans change? Once a Christian leader was asked that question, if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do differently? And he thought for a moment, he said, I, I can't think of anything. Isn't that wonderful? Luther said that, that, that he, he lived as if, he sought to live as if Christ died yesterday and rose today and was coming back tomorrow. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, now Timothy, look, there's a, there's a challenge as to how you live here. This is not an easy station for you. Ephesus is not a, it's not the Bahamas, you know. Maybe the Bahamas is a hard station at the moment. I have no idea, but it sounds better than Ephesus. This is not an easy station for you. There's problems in the church. There's problems in the culture. There's a challenge that you face yourself. But you've got to press on, don't you? You, you, you've got to live your life fleeing sin and pursuing righteousness. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to give yourself to the truth of the gospel and accept no alternatives. And you've got, to, you've got to stand in the situation in which you're put. Don't forget, Timothy, one day you're going to see the Lord Jesus. One day you're going to see what, what he has done for you more clearly. And you're going to be in his presence. And you're going to give an account. So press on. We're going to meet this God. I don't know what that means for you this week. I don't know what, what changes that means for you. I don't know how it helps you in the situation that you're in. But surely we need to go into our week thinking of the eternity, which is only a blink away, and also leaning on this Lord who has gone before us. He died for you. We will see him soon. 